0: Welcome to Work AF with Ruth Steele, the podcast that delves deeper into some of life's unanswered questions, fears not the juicy real talk and taboo topics, and aims to educate on self-help healing. Join us and relax as we explore the mindsets of those choosing happiness and making a positive impact in our desperately disconnected world. Welcome along everyone. Today we are welcoming back again Madura Bagvat double bachelor in political science and international politics, licensed lawyer, yoga philosophy and psychology and yoga therapist, and Ayurveda educator who works mainly with women's health related issues. Today Madura and I will be talking about cultural appropriation and how that presents itself in yoga. And just as a reiteration of what we're aiming to achieve here, we are not aiming to fix anything. We understand that this is a marathon not a sprint. We want to stress to you the importance of balancing our self-care and collective care as we digest and explore some of these difficult conversations and just from my heart to yours I want you to know that my intention for sharing these Instagram lives and this podcast is not in any way to take up space and ask for gold stars or recognition of being a good white person but simply to restore the dignity freedom and worth of BIPOC in the community and to dismantle the system which we have all been born into without further ado we really hope you enjoy the episode hey Madora, how are you I'm good how are you good thank you so there? thank you so much for being here how have you been? Good. I'm just gonna turn these comments off. If anyone has any comments, I'll turn them back on at the end. Yeah, I've been good. How are you? Awesome. Going great. Good. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> I know, everyone's talking about the sun in London, but it, it's not been sunny in Scotland. <laughs>
1: it's been,
0: yeah, actually. It's quite wet. Uh huh. Um sun? so yeah actually thank you for um for asking i wanted to quickly just voice that since we last spoke i'm really glad that we're doing it this way uh weekly at the moment because i have recognized a lot about myself this week and i'm committed to continuing to keep recognizing and learning and unlearning. Um, lots of things surrounding obviously racism, like we covered before Uh, this week, we're going to be covering cultural appropriation in yoga. Um, And I'm learning about myself that I am the sort of person that tends to binge on something. I want to learn everything I can and take it as a sprint rather than a marathon. And I've also just learned today um, that that is my white privilege to be able to binge on something and then take time away because I'm overwhelmed and my system's shaken to take time away and be like, Oh, today isn't the day when I'll sort that out. I can do that tomorrow. But actually that is my white privilege because I've recognized I need to be, you know, not aiming to fix anything, taking my time to dismantle the system, continuing to do this work every single day so that I can make long lasting change and I am committed to doing that. I guess I've just had some realizations this week that at the beginning I might have gone the wrong way about it and like shocked my system. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of say that for anyone else that's been feeling the same, because I think it's important to get this balance between our self care and our collective care, um, whilst continuing to do the work every day, I guess it's better to do little and often rather than binging and then Overwhelming ourselves or losing the motivation and um, drive to to continue to do it. So um, yeah, but thank you so much for being for being here once more and sharing your knowledge and expertise and your personal experience with us. I really really hope you know how much not I much, appreciate you. Not much. <laughs> so. Yeah, today we're tackling another um, really challenging conversation about cultural appropriation. I'd be lying if I said I knew much at all about it. I'm still at the very beginning of um, my journey with all of this. And I spoke to previous and said that it's challenging to try and frame these conversations and ask the right questions so that we can uh, provide useful knowledge to yoga teachers and studios. Um, to just become more aware about how this shows up in the yoga and wellness industry and what we can be doing about it. Um, So yeah, I guess we should start with um, your understanding of cultural appropriation and your definition or how you see it show up in in yoga.
1: Um, Well, Cultural appropriation in yoga—it's to be honest with you—it's a vast topic. It's very difficult to speak, as I mentioned even earlier when we were talking. Uh, it's really difficult to put it all in twenty minutes or thirty minutes because, in order to understand what that culture is all about, you need to understand your history. You need to understand your philosophy and go five thousand years back. So, it is quite a vast topic and. Uh, Therefore, for most of you guys who are completely new to this field, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to try and simplify certain concepts so you know where to begin in order to go deeper into this journey.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, before we understand what cultural appropriation in yoga is, it is very important to understand first that, firstly, my surname is Bhagwat. My forefathers would preach Bhagavad Gita, so philosophy has been part of my life all along. So whenever I'll be placing certain viewpoints, it has a certain background to it because, you know, cultural appropriation is quite a sensitive topic. It can be triggering. So instead of uh, criticizing someone, it is rather good to sit back with the information that I'll be offering and then think over it. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about cultural appropriation of yoga, it is important for us to first dive deep into where this yogic practice or philosophy comes from. Often in most of the yoga teacher trainings this question is completely skipped. Now, uh, sometimes I get to hear that yoga has got something to do with Hinduism as a religion. But if you understand, or I'll go slightly, we'll be a little nerdy about what this entire system is. Uh, we have something called as Sanatan Dharma yeah and sanatana dharma means uh, something universal eternal dharma dharma means morals or code of conducts so sanatana dharma is a culture which predominantly belonged to the indian subcontinent and that's why it originated and it is basically a set of thousands of transcendental uh, philosophical thoughts uh, for the practice towards spirituality so it, its entire base is about spirituality and within that framework you have scriptures such as vedas you have the upanishad you have bhagavad-gita itihas purana uh, you have patanjali yoga sutra hatha yoga pradipika all of these things they belong to that particular system now the civilization most of you guys must have learned about in this valley civilization uh, you know in your history books or when you went to school, basically it is a mispronunciation. So the term Hindu is actually a mispronunciation. The civilization which was created along the banks of the river Sindhu, that Sindhu eventually got mispronounced as something called as Hindu. From Hindu when we were invaded it became Indus, the Indus Valley civilization and from Indus came the Hindu. So. There is actually no base for Sanskrit, for Hinduism in any of the texts. So basically it is Sanatan Dharma. And yoga being a philosophy and a science or a technology in itself, it belongs to this particular culture or tradition. So before we dive deeper into what cultural appropriation is, it is first important to understand what that culture is. Because often I get to hear that, oh yoga does not belong to India or you know to Indians. It's bizarre to say that. There are similar practices which can be found in South America with indigenous people in Africa. But if you're talking about yoga per se, yes, it comes from India. The old Bharat, as we may call. Now, when we're talking about appropriation of yoga, now, when you know already that yoga belongs to this culture and then it is appropriated, one must understand appropriation means any culture or resource or some element which is driven, extorted out of or, you know, it's been pulled out of a marginalised group of people by a group which is dominant or supreme like what you're seeing right now, with white supremacy, when they extract it, they repackage, they trim it around so that they can make it sellable, digestible, palatable for their masses. But it doesn't end there. They rather also benefit financially for themselves,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're diluting the very essence of that entire journey, or the practice, or philosophy, or culture. So to understand what mm-hmm. cultural appropriation in yoga, it literally means is that you're taking yogic culture or yogic philosophy from India, mm-hmm. you're repackaging it because you have that privilege, because you have that. Um, dominance over this community or that race you are able to sell it and benefit out of it so in short cultural appropriation of yoga is the basis of it comes from uh, racism colonialism, imperialism capitalism so there are lots of things happening all together which gives rise to cultural appropriation of yoga so they are kind of all interrelated one cannot be without the other
0: Mm -hmm. thank you for that that's a lot for me to digest as well. <laughs> Lots of stuff that I didn't know in there. Um, and I guess I, sh- I should ask you following that because the majority of yoga styles that we see in Western culture tends to be reduced limbs of yoga. It's not the whole practice, is it? It'll be reduced down to just the physical or um, for want of a better word, I guess, yeah, marketing it in a way that's digestible, palatable for white audiences. But anyone that's doing that then, that is cultural appropriation and disrespectful to... Absolutely,
1: because if you understand now yoga, mm. it specifically says it's sukha. Sthira means steady. Sukha means comfortable. And what we see is goat yoga, beard yoga, wine yoga, naked yoga, acro yoga... Of different practices, uh, yoga lattice, tai chi yoga. Pff, I, I'm sure I'm missing out on some. So it makes me believe that they have apparently understood what yoga is, and therefore they feel that oh, now that I know that knowledge, I can change it. But if you understand it in its true essence, you've not really understood what yoga is
2: because
1: before can change something you have to first understand that knowledge that philosophy through and through and then you can say you know what this does not suit me and since we are constantly evolving it's okay to change it but in order to change it first at least understand that discipline which most of them because for instance you know when i teach um, in yoga teacher trainings because that's what i mainly do Mm -hmm. and i see graduates around and Sometimes i'm sure even you will you know meet teachers across they don't know the difference between ashtanga and ashtanga vinyasa ashtanga being the philosophy ashtanga vinyasa being the style of practice ashtanga philosophy being part of patanjali Yoga sutra ashtanga vinyasa is by krishnamacharya but then you have yoga studios selling it as Ashtanga yoga and then it makes me wonder are you teaching the eight limbs because I'm sure you're not teaching the eight limbs you're actually teaching the style of practice Mm. so a lot of times even the teachers themselves don't know what they're calling the stuff that they're teaching or most teachers who are teaching yoga and call themselves yogis they don't know the difference between Ashtanga and Hatha. Most of them, they don't know. So they say, oh, you know, I just do the asan part of it. But in Patanjali Yoga Sutra, there is no asana. There is no physical posture. In Dashtanga, eight limbs. So there's so much of wrong knowledge, you know. It's, it's the kleshas that we talk about, which is uh, asmita and avitya. Asmita means e- ego and avidya is the wrong knowledge which comes with it or half-baked knowledge and when you have half-baked knowledge it can be quite detrimental it can actually harm something instead of do something good out of it and that's what's happening and therefore you know even if you practice these host of different um, yoga styles I can't see anyone being happy all throughout or you know reaching self-realization I can't see that Mm. so yeah creation Every,
0: every single place there's some things coming to my mind as you're you're sharing there because i mean I'm sure a lot of us have, uh, some of my followers will be familiar with um some of my friends, Adele and Celeste, who host Hypermobile Yogis, for instance.
1: She loves me, actually, Adele
0: loves me. (laughs) Oh, really? She asked you if that's cultural appropriation, because I I was was just curious there. she was
1: my student
0: for many years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, Because I love both Adele and Celeste. They're great, great teachers, and they do have a lot of value to share. But I'm just questioning now, as I'm learning more as I go about cultural appropriation, I guess teachers need to, or would it be useful? I should ask a question rather than tell. Um, would it be useful for teachers to reassess what they've called things, certain programs, and if they're using the word yoga or yogis, calling people yogis, it would actually be more respectful to call it a mindful movement or just not use the word yoga, which is actually um, diminishing yeah, the... The essence of absolutely, the whole practice
1: because you know you're not following the entire essence of the entire philosophy mm. and what i say is that if you are, as you mentioned you know you can rename it absolutely fine but don't sell it as yoga
2: mm. sell it as
1: whatever you want you know you want to teach aerobics in it you want to teach calisthenics in it you want to dance on your mat fine fair enough there's nothing wrong in that mm. but don't call it yoga mm-hmm. because the moment you name it yoga there is appropriation, whether one likes it or not. There certainly is, you know. In yoga classes, I see people, like last time we spoke, playing playlists. Now, what happens is yoga is basically an internal journey, correct? We are basically trying to go deep within us through the layers within us. The moment there is music being played, which has lyrics, how am I supposed to even concentrate on what's going on inside? Because if I'm a music lover, My attention is towards the music. Mm. And sometimes, you know, now yoga classes, the modern yoga classes, everyone likes talking and talking and talking. And teachers sometimes don't know when to allow students to have that space and to keep shut.
2: Mm. So they'll
1: take you on moon and universe and everywhere. They make you travel. My point is, how is that student supposed to go internal into their journey? If you're constantly talking, 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 their awareness is there and it's not inwards and that's why you're making it like a workout rather than a work in Mm. and if it's not a work in it cannot be yoga or you know sometimes i also see uh, some people call it yoga and meditation there cannot be yoga and meditation meditation is one of the aspects of yoga Mm. but see I, i mean so many times you see studios and teachers use all around all around us they don't even know what they're saying or what they're doing in the first place so there's a lot of um, incorrect knowledge but yeah it's high time they change
0: it <laughs> it's come to my attention recently about um i think i learned to, in in the live with janelle and chrissy which was a fabulous live if anyone's not seen that i would fully recommend to go and have a listen um they had used a term about um, yoga teachers white-splaining things to yes. other black people and, uh, you know, people of colour. If you're, particularly, if I can imagine, if you're of Indian origin and have been brought up with this uh, yoga knowledge from a very early age, to then have yoga teachers or studios white-splaining things, because... To me, that is a that is a form of white splaining, calling it yoga and meditation, because we're white splaining it to the students who don't have enough knowledge to know that meditation is a limb of yoga. But we need to stop doing that because that is us adding to the cultural appropriation, isn't it? And that is us still diminishing the practices and saying to people, we're just going to white splain it to you, rather than you actually having an interest to learn about what yoga is in the first place. Um, Absolutely. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, I'm going to be very more mindful of that. Definitely, I'm sure I've done it in the past, but you're right; it needs right. it needs to stop. Um, I cultural appropriation, as
1: I mentioned, you know, in my teacher trainings, my students will tell you I teach over like five, six hours, so that's why I have to pick and choose now. What all things I need to speak in twenty, thirty minutes? It's quite difficult because it's so vast. It's so vast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's hard for us not to overwhelm people as well, if they are just you know beginning a student of yoga and don't have much knowledge to begin with. Um, I guess just pacing ourselves and learning a little bit day by day is um, is all we can be doing to help making making a change. Um, I'm just having a quick glance at my other questions here so I can try and steer us in some sort of direction. Um, I have here that I wanted to ask you. Um, And again, this is a bit of a continuation from what I learned from Janelle and Chrissy. uh, When Chrissy had mentioned the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation.
1: Um, See, when we're talking about cultural appreciation, what you're saying is that I like a particular culture. I relate to that culture, so I am inviting that culture into my day-to-day life. And i'm respecting it so i am bringing it because of because of my respect towards it and why would i have respect is because i have understood that philosophy and i know that i don't need to change it mm. that's showing respect or appreciation towards it Appro- uh, appropriation is i'm drawing that culture i have not understood that culture and because i have not understood that culture i will change it the way i like it mm appropriation and that's why there's a huge difference between appreciation and appropriation because a lot of times people tell me that you know the fact that I'm practicing yoga I'm actually appreciating your culture no you're not, you are not you're changing it to suit yourself Mm. and because it's convenient for you to do it so yes that's a clear distinction between appropriation and appreciation
0: Mm. thank you um I guess that lends itself into, we spoke briefly about this before, didn't we? Um, The use of sacred symbols, whether that is um, in a yoga studio, if they have um, deities or use sacred symbols. Also, um, I wanted to quickly tie in with that, the use, um, as Chrissy had mentioned, of malas for fashion, or any sacred symbols on clothing or tattoos? Um, because I know that you had um, wisdom to share about that. So please tell us more.
1: Uh, now you've, you've put a lot of topics in front of me. The first thing we'll start off with is uh, tattoos or piercings and all. Uh, see, tattoo is a beautiful art. you know like it looks amazing on a skin tone but when someone comes to me and says that my tattoo speaks about myself and because I have a Ganesh on my arm I am an embodiper like you know Ganesha or a Shiva or a Kali or a Shakti I'm sorry I can't agree with that because tattoo as an art as a design it's fine Mm. but when you're using these idols or these uh, secret symbols from a culture and you're saying that is what I am and you're really not that is appropriation Mm. similarly you mentioned about yoga studios now there's something very important over here to understand is the difference between a yoga studio and a yoga shala you must have heard about this concept a yoga shala Mm -hmm. when Talking about yoga shala, something very sacred, something that we have respect towards, where we maintain positive energy. We're trying to keep that energy pure in that yoga shala because that's a place of learning. When we're talking about yoga studios, for instance, the same hall might be used for a yoga class, it could be used for an aerobics class where you might wear your footwear in that same space. Mm -hmm. You may have one party in there where you might have drinks or you know, like alcohol or any vices so a studio cannot equate the same as a yoga shala because yoga shala is sacred and in a shala if you keep idols that you're saying you usually create an altar and we worship them uh, there are certain rituals that we perform but if you're keeping it in a studio firstly that's another place where you keep these idols uh because you're keeping them as show pieces then mm. With, with the relevance of why they are there in the first place and if you are keeping something the owner or you know the one who's running that studio must be able to say why those things are kept there because then you know the relevance behind this so it is very important to first understand whether you want to practice in a yoga studio or you want to practice in a yoga shala or you want to create those kind of spaces
2: mm-hmm.
1: because as a, a, a Shala is quite sacred and that's where we perform different rituals and are practicing, and the entire philosophy can be lived but may not be in a studio.
0: I think that's where there's some misunderstanding as well if students have perhaps experienced that um, in places like India. I, I definitely respected that as part of the culture when you visit a yoga shala and you see um, the rituals in the community happening, I I had this sense of sadness that we don't have that in the West, but then I hadn't quite connected the dots between, um, like you said, people kind of stealing images or little bits that they want to portray to students from a point of selling yoga rather than fully respecting, adopting those rituals and... Uh, sense of respect towards like you said a yoga shala or learning the philosophy or what you do in a certain space
1: absolutely what i tell is that see at the end of the day yoga is about the internal journey but if you're portraying something outside such as as you mentioned you know wearing malas having tattoos and you know creating this whole get-up of oh how spiritual i am like a hippie life or something like that Mm. that does not make you spiritual I don't have any tattoos. I don't have any piercings. Does that mean that I'm not a spiritual person? I, in fact, hail from that same land.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yoga is about an eternal journey and that is what one needs to understand first. doesn't matter what you're putting out on the outside because at the end of the day, if you're creating a certain persona on the, on the exterior, that means you're doing it for people-pleasing, as we mentioned in the previous episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to take you deeper into your journey because you've not understood the philosophy in the first place and if you've not understood the philosophy how can you even teach that entire subject so i tell teachers that you know then don't call yourself yogis or yoginis Mm -hmm. because this is a major problem that nowadays everyone is a yogi or a yogini and they have just not understood the concept of what a yogi or a yogini is just by practicing handstands or unbalances you don't become a yogini You know it's it's a much deeper concept in itself but you have
0: to understand that first Mm -hmm. and i guess that's where huge misunderstanding comes again just from how things are branded particularly on social media because nowadays we'll just see someone doing a hamstring stretch and we're like oh you do yoga and you're like no (laughs) so yeah it's it's frustrating that i guess if somebody isn't interested in learning more about yoga How do you think we start to dismantle that view of yoga being just a physical practice or being stretching or this kind of widely Western view of thinking that they know what yoga is, but really not knowing. How do you think we go about making changes to that?
1: Making changes would be firstly, as we mentioned last time, study. You have to study the philosophy. Like, you know, for instance, uh, when we are practicing branches. Yeah? So you have the asan, you have pranayam, you have uh, shatkriya, mudra and bandha. Teach these things to your classes in during your classes. Mm-hmm. You know, shatkriyas, you have the jalaneti, you have the sutraneti, you have Shankar Praksharan. Most of the teachers haven't even heard of these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you're only going to teach asan, then just name your, your class of fitness class. Mm. don't name it as a your class or you know don't create this entire sense of all this love and light around you because yoga is not that mm. yoga is not about love and light yes it is about a spiritual journey but it is a very strict journey and it is a very serious journey it is not something to be playful about or for entertainment mm-hmm. as you know, it has been turned out to be these days so one really needs to understand how to incorporate these these other aspects in their class. The main thing is first learn the difference between Hatha Ashtanga. Learn the difference between Ashtanga, philosophy and Ashtanga, Vinyasa style of practice, and for heaven's sake, don't call yourself an Ashtangi. I keep hearing this by Ashtanga. I an Ashtangi. So does that mean you're something special than the others? Mm. So why are you naming me? Because no Indians are... Honestly, I have never heard this term. In fact, the first time I heard it was from a Western friend of mine. That oh, I'm in Ashtanga. And I'm like,
2: okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know what I mean. So, Mm. now yoga has reached at such a stage that you really need to unlearn so many things Mm. and relearn everything back again. Mm
2: -hmm. And when can
1: that be done with the teacher trainings? You know, because teacher training is the first place where the students are learning all these things and eventually they are going to be the torch bearers because once they are out they're out and then they'll be teaching that knowledge outside so it is very essential how the teacher trainings run in the first place and that's when i said even in the previous session that you know how many times do you have an indian teaching in your teacher trainings Mm. because in order all these concepts for someone who has lived that life or belongs to that culture, you need to bring that person into your trainings so that they can explain things better. Because you know, with Western teachers, I mean, no offense, but with Western teachers, what happens is they read 10 books and then they become teachers. Mm -hmm. But they've not lived that life through and through, you know. So change has to take place at many levels, Mm
0: -hmm. at many levels. I think as well, where people, where teachers go on from after their teacher training, um, even if they've learned from, uh, the majority say in Indian teachers, which was my experience, I then found a disconnect between that and going to a studio that has limitations in what classes are unoffered. So for instance, teachers are told that they have this amount of classes to teach and one of them's power yoga one of them's vinyasa yoga one of them's uh you know whatever but (laughs) but but there's still a huge lack of diversity where it's not like they're not offering just a pranayama class or a cleansing technique where students can actually be introduced to some of the things we've learned in our teacher trainings but they don't ever seem to offer in yoga studios
1: i mean you know now understanding from the yogic understanding of the concepts. If you're doing any yoga class, yes, Mm -hmm. you're essentially doing it for the flow of the pranic energy all throughout the body, isn't it? Mm. But if your passages themselves are blocked, they have toxins, how is that pranic energy even supposed to move? And that's why shatkriyas is important. Mm. The cleansings are essential so that you're throwing out all those toxins out. Mm. As I mentioned, if you do asanas, yes, you know, you will create a lovely body, definitely. But then it's only external. Nothing's really happening internal. And as, you know, we discussed in the previous uh, episode, the thing is that at the end of the day, if you keep on practicing asan, 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 psychologically, there's no change taking place. And even five, ten years down the line, you're staying there. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. Because the cleansing, which had to be done internally, was never done. Mm. Uh, it was supposed to, th- you know, change you through the philosophical aspects by applying it to your mind. If you're still thinking the same, externally you may do amazing postures, was the point. Mm. So cultural appropriation, in order to change these things, first you have to acknowledge that, yes, what I have been doing all, these, all this while, it has been wrong. Because unless and until that acknowledgement does not come into
0: play, there won't be any change. Mm. Um, the accountability circle that I took part into uh, in today was really lovely in the way that Janelle speaks and acts and offers from her heart but she also doesn't beat around the bush. You know, she had said to yeah. us point blank, we are late to this work. And that is a fact like, and even to this day with everything, how it's been, um, you know, blown up in the media and whatever, there are still people that are asleep to racism, yes. cultural appropriation, but that doesn't change the fact that we are late to this work. So. Like now has to be the time, doesn't it, to start making these little changes and I guess continuing to act from our heart and from place of love rather than, again, because I have the tendency, it's part of my personality to attack a little bit and I am willing for people to point out my mistakes, but then I'm learning gradually that if I point out others' mistakes from a Point from, from a feeling of attacking or anger rather than love and actually wanting the change, not for myself, but for others, you know, for people that are disadvantaged and that have been yeah. oppressed from us, the oppressors for so long, um, it can come across wrong. So, what would you... To be re-
1: fair, you know, I don't really think, if you are certain in what you're thinking, there should not be any reason why you should step back just because of what others would think. Because if others take you otherwise, that means they need to work somewhere on themselves. Mm. You know, uh, I recently had a chat with someone and, and she created a beautiful post and I really liked it. So I commented on her post and then I saw that there was some amount of criticism on her post and it was, it came across as bullying. Mm -hmm. towards the person who had created a post why should you succumb to a pressure no we have done that for so many years for generations Mm -hmm. so now you as a white person if you feel that no there is injustice there is something wrong being done stand up for it irrespective of what others would feel because if they feel something wrong it's their problem not yours
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so yeah, because as long as your intentions are clear, as you mentioned that, you know, it's coming from a place of love and that care towards those people. If you think that you are absolutely certain in what you're doing, don't back out. That's what it's been in, uh, told even in the Bhagavad Gita.
0: Mm-hmm. That be
1: absolutely certain as long as your conscience is clear.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, because I know time's ticking. um, Sorry, if you can hear the dogs barking Um, about the use of sacred language and Sanskrit. I didn't have any knowledge, (laughs) so I'll just wait two seconds. Sorry, (laughs) the dogs are barking at something. I didn't have any knowledge about using Namaste at the end of a yoga class and how that can be disrespectful. did, I wanted um, to just ask you about your, um, your take on that and if there was anything uh, to, to add
1: fair, to be fair in India we have greetings of two different kinds mm-hmm. <clears throat> the first one being namaste which is kind of an abbreviation of a sentence Ahama Namahate," that means I am bowing down to you and the mm-hmm. other one is namaskar which is the gesture and both are joining the palms but at the same time we also have 22 languages in the country Hindi being widely spoken and in that language people do say namaste at the beginning and towards the end mm-hmm. so personally of course I'm, I don't speak Hindi because I come from a state of Maharashtra we speak Marathi which is fairly closest to Sanskrit. Uh, But I wouldn't feel offended if someone says namaste towards the end. In my opinion, as long as your intentions are fine, all you're saying is that I'm bowing down to you. So there shouldn't really be anything wrong in that. Whether it's absolutely correct, that could be, um, you know, a little... Some would say it is and some would say it is not because nowhere it's been clearly mentioned what's right and what's wrong. But okay. if you belong to a certain uh, group of people who speak Hindi, they always say Namaste. Always. So I don't think there's anything wrong in that.
0: Hmm. I guess like you but said, as far it is... As,
1: was... as far as the chanting of the Sanskrit names go, uh, yes, please be a little careful because I'm an Ashtanga Vinyasa practitioner. I used to be. Uh, and the very uh, opening mantra which is Bande Gurunam Charanaravande Vande means to pray or to hail. Yeah? like Vande Gurunam towards the Guru. Mm -hmm. And I used to have Spanish students and they don't have the sound v. So they would Mm -hmm. say Bande and it would come across as Bande Gurunam and it's quite bad because Bande means being tied down.
2: Mm.
1: Yes. So even though their intentions are beautiful, they've changed the entire meaning of that mantra and it is important to understand that Sanskrit language is actually created by different sounds which are put together because of the vibrations that were created because of these sounds. So sounds and pronunciations in Sanskrit are extremely important. So I would say just practice, practice, practice till you reach there and don't make such mistakes
0: of one day and one day. It can be quite detrimental. Mm -hmm. I guess, so it comes down to intention and knowledge. If we are seeking to have as much knowledge about our pronunciation, and and I guess if there are new teachers that don't have the knowledge of uh, any Sanskrit words that they're using, it's better to not use them and just say something else from a good intention.
1: Absolutely. Uh, In fact, in my teacher trainings, my students do learn. They learn the Devanagari script, they learn the exact chanting. So if you have a teacher who can teach you properly, go ahead with it. Mm -hmm. But if not, just be a little careful.
0: Um, I wanted to mention quickly, I think we sort of covered it before about how um, Western culture markets yoga and it, it not being respectful. Um... It is my understanding. I don't know if you've heard of Les Mills. It's a a gym uh, big corporation that offers lots of different classes like, you know, fitness classes, body pump and the likes of. They recently started teaching yoga and I'm assuming it's just a physical practice. But I'm questioning this because it is cultural appropriation that they're allowed to call it yoga without... I mean, for starters, they're um instructors i think maybe do is it a weekend course or or maybe it's a bit longer but it's like a very short course that they're just learning how to how to deliver this one class so yeah i wanted to just kind of get your take on that, that i think more of us should be writing to some of these big companies and questioning how they're being allowed to get away with calling things yoga when it's you not. know, to be
1: honest, I mean Lace Miss Mills, as you're saying, I, I've heard about it. Um, I didn't know about yoga part of it. I knew that they had these workouts, but yoga is something new that you're telling me about. Mm. Uh, but if you notice all most of these well known schools, you name any, all of them are practicing cultural appropriation in the, in their own way. Mm. Yeah. Let's start with yoga alliance itself. Because most of the schools are um, you know they are certified or registered with yoga alliance but now whether it could be UK it is US or yoga alliance international mm-hmm. There are so many yoga alliances mm-hmm. the very uh, basics of yoga alliance they don't keep a check on the teachers mm. they don't keep a check on the students or on the schools so the correction has to start there you know because you have now teacher trainings Everywhere, all across the globe. How many can you really correct? Because everyone is teaching their own styles of yoga and their own versions and understanding of yoga. So it really has to be... In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, now, the government of India is coming up with something called as Ayush Ministry where they are going to start their own uh, recognition for yoga schools uh, within India and they are going to try and put it up at the UN level. I don't know when that's going to happen, but the work is still going on. Mm. So... If that happens, maybe there might be some change somewhere. But on individual level, the moment you see something wrong in school, for instance, wherever, you know, those who are watching or listening to this, whenever you have seen these uh, yoga schools who do teacher trainings, check who's teaching there. Do you see even a single Indian teacher being appointed over there? And if yes, then what are the subjects being taught? You know, just don't go by the brand name, oh, so-and-so is very famous. Being famous does not mean being quality teaching. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One thing that everyone needs to understand. Just because something or someone is popular does not mean they're going to deliver quality.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Once you understand that, you will start questioning the school at what they're teaching and what needs to change.
0: Mm -hmm. And I suppose as well, it's been the way for hundreds of years that we tend to put on a pedestal that that is the majority and has been the oppressor. So we all go along with it, but actually it's not correct or it's not respectful. and It's not um, the true origins and depth of understanding.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Because, you know, so many times when someone tells me, oh, this yoga teacher is so cool. The moment there is the word cool attached to a yoga teacher and I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> is that yoga teacher supposed to be so cool? The whole definition of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad has completely changed. So if we have to start undoing things, first we have to understand how can I call a yoga teacher cool or someone who is very sexy or powerful, any of these terminologies attached with a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. You have to think twice what they're going to teach you. Yes, they will teach a brilliant fitness class, but that does not mean they're going to teach a yoga class. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things you can talk about on cultural appropriation because it happens at every level. You know, the best thing I heard recently was um, at all these holistic uh, restaurants and cafes, you have something called as chai tea. Mm-hmm. And it drives me crazy because chai itself means tea. So when you're saying tea chai tea. tea, you're saying tea tea. And I'm like, <laughs> why are you saying the same word twice?
0: I never or, knew you that.
1: Know, I may be something like turmeric latte or golden milk when i was in bali a few years ago it was like for six or seven dollars and as a child every indian has had turmeric latte or turmeric milk because it's part of ayurveda <sighs> every single time the child was sick <laughs> so you know and it's for less than a pound when mm. you make it at home and you know they sell it for like six seven dollars so this is they've turned everything into a fashion mm. Into a trend, and yes, you know it sells. In India, we have a saying that hai, wala means the world is ready, ready to bow down. You should know how to make them bow down, and that's what supremacy is. If you know how to make them budge, you win. Mm.
0: It's it's so worth saying again and again, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's I get I get so many mixed emotions that come up, even. Like just the more that I learn because I know that I'm ready myself to give up the privilege and to have these difficult conversations, to work through the difficult emotions that are going to come up. And I guess I just hope that there's enough white people that are willing to do the same so that we can even the playing field and start to make changes.
1: You know it's very interesting that you are bringing this up because recently I had a conversation with one of my ex-students and during the conversation she asked me, she was like you know Madhura I loved your pod- podcast what we did last time mm-hmm. but how many are really going to change after this mm-hmm. and the only thing I told her was look we are doing our work at the end of the day I can't change people. It's their job to change. So as long as I am convinced that whatever you and I, we're doing good work and we're doing it with absolute honesty and sincerity, then we need not think about how many people will change because if they are destined to change, they will. And if not, things will continue as they are. Mm -hmm. It's like that. But unfortunately, that is how things are now.
0: I guess the the, the, only... Sorry, go on. No, no, God, it's okay. I, I was just thinking of that phrase where the only way you can change the world is to begin with yourself. You can only change yourself and to lead by example um, is the only way to do it, isn't it? Like you said, you can't force someone else to do their own work. Yeah. Because
1: it's not our job to force them. It's mm. not. You know, uh, one of my, my teachers would tell me that he would only throw petals at you how many you catch how many you take is up to you
2: mm-hmm.
1: that is the problem it was your problem and then if you want to change you will bring about that change and if you don't change it at least after watching or listening to what we've been talking all this time they will start to think that yes at least i'm doing something right they mm-hmm. may not change but at least that thought will enter their brain mm-hmm. and who knows maybe they might <laughs>
0: Madura, is there anything you'd like to add just before um, we get kicked off by Instagram? Is there anything that you'd like to add as like a final...
1: Uh, Towards the end, you know, in all of this that we have been listening to in the last, last podcast about racism and today about cultural appropriation, my only wish for everyone who's watching or listening is don't stop by just listening or watching. If you really want to do something, take that action. No one else is going to take it for you. You yourself have to take it. So just do that. Not worrying about who says what. Just do it. Because if you don't do it, people like us are never going to have your support. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter whether you listen to us or you watch us. But we are not going to have your support if you don't take some action. So that has to be done.
0: Mm -hmm. And there are some great resources to do that. You know, like the Me and White Supremacy book, which isn't just an internalised reading. It's a practice. It's you know, actionable steps that we as white people can be doing to um, continue doing day by day a little bit of work that's going to add up to longer lasting change. I think another one is um, I'm no longer talking to white people about race. There's tons of other ones out there like just do your research and yeah, continue to, to do your own work.
1: And you know, you have so many Indian teachers, go learn from that. Mm. Literally, if you search around, Indians are everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. And there are a lot of amazing Indian yoga teachers. So try and go learn from them because you may end up learning something that you're not otherwise getting to learn. And what I would like to say is that don't choose popular teachers. There are teachers in your neighborhood. Go and learn from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, give them that opportunity instead of you know. Because now on social media, I'm constantly seeing the same popular posts going round and round in circles. Instead, go and give opportunity to those people who are good, but they don't have their voice yet out there on social media, mm-hmm. and you will find it definitely.
0: I think that's the the scary thing about this whole numbers game and stuff like that on yeah. social media, because we've almost yeah, we've almost all been conditioned into this, um, valuing people's worth by numbers or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm fully recognizing my own white privilege by, you know, having a platform and a community there. But yeah, I guess I would second that and say, don't be lulled into this false game of numbers because our worth as human beings are not, on any numbers, or or whether you have a big community or a small community, like you said, you might have a huge community and not be sharing that much of value, and then somebody might have a small community who is sharing such a lot, but just hasn't been given that airtime and um, yeah, space.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and I'm sure everything will be fine. Trust yourself;
0: it'll be mm-hmm. amazing. Trust in the universe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Madura, thank you so much again for being here and sharing with us. I really, really appreciate your time and your knowledge and your wisdom.
1: Thank you for having me again. Yeah.
0: Enjoy the rest of your weekend and I look forward to another chat. If you're available, we'll, we'll reconnect in the future.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again. Bye-bye.
0: Lots of love. Madura, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time and energy in showing up for these Instagram lives and for the podcast. Please go and follow and show some love to her on Instagram. You can find her at Madura 06, and you can find myself on Instagram at Ruth Steele underscore. Keep taking care of yourselves and doing the hard work each and every day. And we'll see you next time.